0: Potluck, I'm Court Green. And I'm Peter Constantian. And with us today is... Genie Hoax. Genie Hoax. And Genie just preached at the Canton Lint service, and my opinion, bang up job. It was powerful, and I was moved by it. Peter, in our pre-production meeting, has talked about the things he wanted to talk about from the thing, but I didn't, so no, I'm i surprised everyone.
1: Yeah, I, well, I thought you did a great job, and... You know, we have you to thank for the sermon series. We haven't done the seven last words as long as I've been a pastor here at, for our sermon series for Lent, and I think it worked well, and you kind of wrapped it up for us. How did you think the whole series went, and how did today go for you?
2: Well, the seven last words have always been really powerful for me, and um, I just I feel like they're... Important to reflect on at this time of the year, so I got a lot out of the sermon series, and um, and I was fortunate. I actually volunteered to help out today because I figured the rest of the pastors were working full time and this was a busy week. You were
1: right about that. And so yes. I
2: thought I thought okay, I'll I'll fill in on this particular one when everybody else has got a crunch, um, but it's actually probably my favorite. Favorite line.
1: Good. Well, we're going to get into that, but I want to. You're. This is your first time on Pastor Potluck, so welcome. Thank you. And Pastor Potluck is an expression of the Can- Canton 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 Lectionary Group, rather, which you've been a part of for a while. And uh, well, at least that's how we see it. You know, us- usually it's Court and Peter plus whoever wants to to come, but we we often take our cues from the Lectionary Group, and so for this. Lenten season, we have followed and tried to interview everyone who's preached.
0: Uh, we got all but one of them.
1: All but one of them. So we did pretty well. Yeah. And when we have a new guest on the show, we like to get to know them a little bit. And so I think a good way to to get to know you and your background would be to ask you what was the name of the street you grew up on (laughs) and what was it like growing up there?
2: Okay. We're talking ancient history here, okay? Okay. (laughs) I was raised on a street called Oak Ridge Road in Orlando, Florida before Disney World. Before Disney World. Yes. So
0: it was a swamp. Yes.
2: Okay.
0: <laughs> what was
1: it like on Oak Ridge Road?
2: Um, Oak Ridge Road is kind of like um, Hmm. Kinda like going the back way through Clyde, maybe, out towards Waynesville and So like Thickety? Just so
0: the Clyde side of Thickety.
2: Well, you know, it was it was a, it was a, it was kind of out in the middle of nowhere, but there were a few little housing patches. okay. And so we were in one of the housing patches because at that time, Florida was booming mm-hmm. with the people, the post-war people. And um, and the interesting thing about that is when I was living there, Oak Ridge Road became a dirt road, like That's maybe about weird. three miles down the road. So, or five miles away. Oh, I thought
0: you meant that they came and took up the asphalt and no, put no. dirt down.
2: <laughs> no, it like, became. Sorry, a,
0: you don't the, get any of this. It transitioned into <laughs> dirt.
1: We're okay, cutting gotcha. taxes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: um, it's funny how. Wait, wait,
1: wait we got to figure out what happened to the asphalt. Or yes. no, it was dirt. Tell us that
2: there was. N- yeah, it became a dirt road. Okay. It was asphalt where I lived, and it became a dirt road.
1: Okay, transition. It, transitioned it from kept going asphalt to dirt.
2: Yes. Gotcha.
1: And people lived on down that section as well
2: way down there yeah
1: okay
2: here and there like a country yeah. road yeah okay but that dirt road is now international drive at disney wow. i've been there
0: yep. i stayed at a hotel off international <laughs> drive wow
2: and there, i cannot find like, my way Westgate around Lips there
0: or something like that For For anything. i don't know yeah. something like that <laughs> It
1: didn't feel very international to you at the time. No, no. It so was orange what groves and like, swamps. Well, you're starting to tell us. What was it like to grow up there? You had neighbor friends at all? What did you do? We had,
2: Well, there weren't a lot of kids, but we did have some kids that my brothers and I hung around with. We used to have a group of dogs. All the kids' dogs would hang out together. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Come to the back door and ask for the other dog to come out. That was pretty funny. Um Used to climb in the orange trees and go into the ditches and play with the tadpoles and that kind of thing. It was very old Florida. What's time. it
0: like as a kid growing up knowing that if you walk in your backyard, an alligator can just jump up and eat you at any time?
2: <laughs> um, Is that not terrifying? Was that
0: the case on Oak Ridge Road? That's the case all over Florida. <laughs> I feel like Ye- there's
1: some assumptions being made here, but. <laughs> yeah.
2: I would say, I don't remember being too worried about alligators because we weren't directly on the water. Okay. They usually want to be in the marshy part where they can, you know.
0: I recently got a text message from a friend of mine who is working for a a defined amount of time filling in for someone in an emergency room in Florida while she's trying to get into medical school. And she sent me this text. She was just shocked, like this culture shock, that Floridians... Mm -hmm treat alligators or see alligators like we see squirrels it's just that thing that's there you don't pay any yeah. attention to it. it's an alligator <laughs> <laughs> could bite your leg off squirrels can't do that
2: actually from what i understand now i haven't ever tested this theory okay but from what i understand if their mouth's not open they don't really have a lot of force so if they're just laying there they'd have to get their mouth well, they open can open via- the mouth though yeah, but not
0: fast
1: though.
2: Not that fast. And 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 they can 90, close they're like fast. they're yeah. like snakes. They're usually going to run away, not at you. Okay. You know.
1: But they can run. I've seen videos of
0: that. That's yes. scary. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and if you think I'm going anywhere near freshwater in Florida, you are crazy. <laughs> crazy. I know Lake Okeechobee or whatever it is is like this famous bass fishing lake, but nah, not me. <laughs> There's, a more than,
1: there's more than fishermen out there after the I'll fish. I'll chase
0: bears all over the mountains. I don't care about that. I was going to say. <laughs> you an alligator? No, no, no. They call it a lizard brain for a reason. It thinks of one thing. <laughs> Kill. All right, so I have kind of okay. talked all over Jeannie, your introduction. I'm sorry about that. How did you become
1: a pastor?
2: I first had a sense of feeling called into ministry when I was a junior in high school and um,
0: what year was this?
2: 1971
0: okay this is a female feeling called into the ministry in 1971 I think that should be stated go ahead
2: yeah well the denomination I grew up with is fairly fairly liberal but the place you grew up in wasn't Mm, it was country but it was a lot of it was not like people were born and bred and raised there their That's whole right, life. No one's it was in Florida, everybody was moving into the they area. They there on their yeah. way back to North Carolina. Yeah. yeah, and they were engineers or that kind of people a lot of times. So, um, and the church that I was attending, I had just moved from one end of town to the other, and the church that I was attending had a woman um, elder. And
1: Was this Presbyterian? Presbyterian,
2: okay. yeah. And we did not have a um, didn't have a minister at the time. We were between ministers. Mm-hmm. So I shared with her, and she encouraged me to use the time while we were they were looking for a pastor to be thinking about it. And um, and then I shared it with him, and it kind of was one of those. Um, I guess I was inspired by having read the the um, Christie by Catherine Marshall, which was a book of a woman missionary, and her husband was a famous Presbyterian that, pastor in the World war times.
0: Uh, Peter Marshall's yeah wife or daughter wife wife okay yeah he was an evangelist
2: yeah. And so, so that, that is what inspired me. And originally I was thinking in mission, terms of missions, not ministry. But I don't think it had ever even occurred to me that women weren't ministers because I had seen a lot of women in strong leadership roles and I didn't differentiate between whether that was the chairperson of the committee, of the you know, women of the church or an ordained elder. I just saw these people that were strong leaders and so, um, it basically was a very long term. Um, if I have enough money to make it through this semester of seminary, well, thank God. I'm assuming that if I've got this far, I'll go another semester. And we'll see where it goes. And you know, of course, obviously, it was not the norm to have women pastors at the time. I, when I was in college, I went to that pastor to tell that pastor about my sense of call and you know how I had been working with my home church and he gave me a book called uh, ordination and Subordination mm-hmm. and encouraged me to study it and there were numerous quotes in scripture that he used to, or the, the article used in order to um, dismiss the idea of a woman being ordained
1: mm. but I was reading into the title but I was like, No, please no. Yeah. Ordination and subordination. <laughs> See, I'm I guessing one was title. was uh, <laughs> for men and the the others for women. Yeah. So oh, yeah.
0: I was thinking, Well that's awesome because you, you get ordained so that you can serve. I didn't even, I didn't even put oh. it together that it's <laughs> male, female. I'm wow. a little slow today. <laughs> that's
1: okay. I was like please let this not be what I was hope you were you were optimistic I'm, on, I on that it's book. crazy. Yeah.
0: I was optimistic. I know.
1: Yeah. It's a character it happens change now and then. <laughs> okay. So thankfully you dismissed this book.
2: Yes, to be honest with you and you know back I don't know when you all went through seminary I think you all were probably more into studying Bible as literature. When I was going through seminary, historical criticism mm. was the the big push. It's a right.
0: product of modernity, yeah.
2: And so, you know, you're always stripping away the myth to find out what this historical reality is behind it.
0: I'm a big fan of historical criticism. Yeah. yeah.
2: And I do, I feel like it really enriches whatever, you know, when you dig those layers away, it enriches what you pull out of it. But... It also was uh, the beginnings of what I would call that kind of, e- when the, a break between the mainline denominations and the evangelical.
1: Hmm. What was the break, or how did you see that break for me? Um, like historical criticism was the realm uh, of the, main the, main or, line, yeah, yeah, of the mainline? The mainline, yeah, kind of Yeah, the mainline, it okay. was, a uh, it, and
2: it's that? the other, It was a rejection of historical criticism, a rejection of human scholarship over the Word of God,
1: Mm -hmm.
2: rather than an understanding that God is at work in this scholarship. So, when you say it was a
0: rejection, you mean the the breakout of the evangelicals was a rejection. From my perspective, that's the way I saw it. Yeah,
2: because they they was it was. Really they called it fundamentalism. You know it was, it was more that you know you have to have these literal statement of beliefs that you believe literally mm-hmm. in order to be considered Christian. <laughs> um, so, so you know at that time, that's where I was kind of caught up in that. For me, what happened was I also had some very profound Methodist pastors. Who were in my life as professors at the college and I was studying religion and philosophy and um, this one Dr. Gonzalez Jorge um, justo, justo, Husto Gonzalez. justo Gonzalez really he was, was your professor yes wow no Jorge was my professor justo was my professor in his wife was my professor in seminary I keep messing up their names yeah yeah so um, Husto so Gonzalez is a treasure. Right, of the Methodist right. Church. I know, I, mean, he I is, know. He's, ex- he's an exceptional theologian. Rit- he's ri- written a new book, I think, too, mm-hmm. just recently. Mm-hmm. What and, college did uh, you go to? Berry College in Rome, Georgia. Okay. And I um, went in Rome. Yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember when I was wrestling, and I between these two camps of thought, for my own self, like, should I submit? Should I, you know? Am I abandoning my faith by following this broader broader way of understanding the tradition? And honestly, when I prayed about it and thought about it, what I witnessed with the path that I chose to take from the people was that there was a graciousness and an openness and, to me, a Mm Christ-likeness Over against a very judgmental, very boxed-in approach to the faith, hmm. and so, so, I ended up. That's why I didn't follow the pamphlet, and <laughs> I did continue with my steps towards ordination. Hmm. And you know, the rest is history. Well, we're glad <laughs> you did, and I, I think
1: you. <laughs> you're. you're um, I was commenting. After the service, I just felt like you have a, a really strong presence in the pulpit. Absolutely, um, you know, you you have confidence there, and like your sermon, my my, my structure all over the place. Your sermon was very structured and also very relatable to, uh, and so I'm excited to get into get into it. Well, her so, presentation
0: like, was good, um, but I think more important, her her content was excellent. And before she got up there, I was messing with her, and I said, hey knock my socks off well she did and so i appreciate that mine um, too well, peter didn't have any socks <laughs> off of which to knock how do, you, how do you not how do you not in i'm wearing sandals today <laughs> for our listeners. Position. Um, anyway so she spoke and i'm gonna bring it up is that okay bring up yeah, the verses. yeah yeah let's let's hear the verses. she spoke out of the common english bible and why am i on first corinthians that's strange <laughs> We're looking at Luke um, chapter 23, verses 46. 46. All right, Luke 23, verse 46 says, Crying out in a loud voice, Jesus said, Father, into your hands I entrust my life. After he said this, he breathed for the last time. What I, I love so much about it. But one of the things that I loved is before you even stepped up to the pulpit, podium, lectern, whatever furniture that they have there at First Methodist. We had numerous people stand up and read that verse from the audience and from different translations. Did you orchestrate that? Yeah. Well done. Uh, I thought it was wonderful. I, I even thought about pulling up some parallel things and doing that here, but for I time. I thought it was
1: I thought it was powerful. And what do you what do you What's the meaning that you hoped that people would come, come away with with from that? Or what was the what was your intended effect of having different translations used?
2: I think when we come to scripture a lot of times, especially when it's a well known story, we come with so many um, preconceived thoughts about it.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: That it's hard to listen freshly, mm-hmm. and I feel like when we hear the scripture from different versions of the Bible, it helps us to understand that you know this isn't a literal concrete word. This is a word that is breathes life. Yeah, and. Um, And so hopefully we can hear it in that way. And I I feel like sharing different versions of the scripture can open that door.
0: For instance, Common English Bible, into your hands I entrust my life. New International Version, into your hands I commit my spirit. That's the one I think most people are familiar with Mm -hmm. in our culture. King James Version, very similar but instead of commit it's commend into your into thy hands i commend my spirit mm-hmm. and then new king james goes back to commit so it's just hearing a different word than what you're used to mm-hmm. like entrust my life hits you differently than what you would normally read over oh yeah he says i commit my spirit i've read that a hundred times yeah but have you heard entrust my life so i, I thought it was very good
1: you went with "Entrust My Life" from the Common English Bible. It's kind of the one that you preached from. Did what stood out to you about that, or why did you choose to use that particular translation?
2: Because I felt like Jesus was enacting trust, mm. literally laying himself out into the hands of God.
1: Yeah. Commend and commit are not words that we use in everyday life, but we do trust one another. And to to make that, I think it makes it more tangible, to more intelligible. And now here I'm using complicated words, but we can understand it better. Yeah, Yeah. that
0: that, that's the way to say. Yeah. So when I heard you when I heard you, you, you chose that phrase. The first thing that jumped into my mind, and I was very glad that you actually made the point later in the sermon, but but right out of the gate I kept thinking when you said entrust, I entrust my life why, why don't we wait till we're dying and don't have a choice anymore?
1: Hmm.
0: Why does Jesus, we don't know that Jesus did but if I'm hearing this as if, okay now I trust you, then why does Jesus wait until okay, well, the Romans don't didn't give you a choice. You're on a cross. It's the only option you have now. Why why didn't you do that earlier? And you did get around to that point that we, we, we can do that now. We don't have to wait until we no longer have a choice and we're on our deathbeds before we entrust our lives to God. So along the lines of why you chose those verses, do you want to talk about uh, what does it mean for us while we still have a choice To entrust our lives to God And if you want to talk about Why Jesus kind of chose those words Which you also talked about in your sermon Then now might be a good time for that as well uh, I'll remind you It was the, um, the prayer you brought up
2: Okay I um, I think one of the risks Of Religion Including Christianity is that we confuse our doctrines with the truth rather than seeing our doctrines as a tool for seeking truth Mm -hmm. and it I think we can say well I trust myself to Jesus because you know I did this, I did this, I did this and it becomes kind of a checklist mm-hmm. to verify that you trust.
0: Which then makes it work, works-based.
2: Which, yeah, which is very, very different. I'm, you all, I don't know, you're generations younger than me, but did you all ever do trust exercises with youth groups or trust youth falls? falls? Yeah, yes. we did trust yes. falls. I hated those
1: things.
0: Did you ever get
1: dropped, Corey?
0: <laughs> I weighed like 200 pounds and everybody else was like 90 pounds, so yeah, I got dropped a lot. <laughs>
2: okay. oh. So, so you can testify firsthand.
0: They, I, I could trust them; they tried.
2: It was, it was, I hit their important. arms
0: and went right to the ground, taking them with me.
2: But, but it's to me, it's very different to have a set of beliefs over against trusting yourself with this unknown, hmm. because no matter, no matter how much god reveals to us we remain finite we aren't going to be able to see infinity Mm -hmm. and i think that the whole message of jesus calling from the cross especially like you talked about or we talked about um the words that he used being like a child's prayer Mm -hmm. to me that's inviting us to something way more than simply believing Mm. It is inviting us to a way of life, which is what I think that Jesus does. A way of life that ultimately defies death.
0: I think that's where one of the problems comes in to faithfulness. Because Jesus invites us into a way of life that leads to life everlasting, but that we cannot control. And what we want to do is take the good points of that, but control it. Yes. And say, well, we'll define our way of life. And if you hit these high notes, you're fine. And you get that same promise, that same reward. But you got to do it my way because then I have some say in it. And I think I am in a bad place right now when it comes to the church. Not this church, but the church. Uh, because I'm looking at the future and I don't like the fact that I can't predict it. Um, and I don't think I'm alone. I don't know what's coming, but I think the future of the church, if it is to survive, and it will because it is the bride of Christ, but it's probably going to be an end to all of these um, human-created orthodox um, pageantry stuff that we say makes you good or that we say makes you a believer or that we say makes you faithful and a return to what you were just talking about, a way of life. And that makes us nervous. That makes me nervous. Do I have a career in that? I don't know. Hmm. uh, I don't know. Peter's not as nervous about it as I am.
1: Well, uh, you know, as as the two of you have been talking, I've been thinking two weeks ago, I was stressed out of my mind, I was doing way too many things, and um, starting to feel a little bit depressed, and the, the words that, help, that, that, that I came up with for how I was feeling was, I just said I, to my wife and I just said, I'm so tired of being in charge, I just want somebody else to be in charge of my life, and you know, so easily as a pastor, I felt, I feel like I'm given all this responsibility to lead a church and to make decisions and to decide what we need to do about this and that and the other thing and I forget that the whole reason I got into this is because I let God guide my life and uh, so I think this is a really um, you know powerful thing that we're talking about we get trapped into control and needing control but really once we get control it's not always all it's cracked up to be
0: uh, speaking of spouses Tuesday today's Wednesday so, no today's Thursday so it was Tuesday no it was Wednesday yesterday something happened I'm not going to go into the whole story but I had this amazing plan of this thing that was going to work Giddy and I were going to do son, this Gideon. thing and it was just going to be amazing and then someone showed up, and they ruined the whole thing. I was furious. I was cussing. I was calling Christie. I was going nuts. Uh, I didn't. I didn't say a word to the person because I'm. I'm not going to do that. So I just bottled my anger. Didn't lose it in front of Gideon. Pretended that we still followed my plan, but I was just irate. And I unloaded on Christy, and she says, oh, I "Can't stand it when she does this." But I need it. Maybe God's telling you not to fall in love with your own plan so much. Ooh, <laughs> I'm planning to smack now. I'm <laughs> I would never raise a hand but, to her. Never have either. But but every now and then, she'll be the voice of the Spirit and remind me things, and it just drives me crazy. But I think the church has fallen in love with our own plan mm-hmm. and has lost sight that story just to be my own admission to the listener that I'm part of that but we've lost sight of what exactly what you said we've been invited into a way of life not a religious structure
1: and I really like how you highlight the the childness of Christ in this I mean in his words Father into your hands I entrust my life but oftentimes we think of these as like very adult words, Jesus, last breath, dying on the cross, and we ha- we construct this sort of like, you know, divine parent, divine child relationship, but what you did is you, t- you brought it back to um, a prayer that we pray a- as children, uh, the childhood prayer that starts with, now I lay me down to sleep. And I found out that there are various versions of this Mm -hmm. I don't know about y'all this I prayed now I lay me down to sleep I pray the Lord my soul to keep if I should die before I wake I Pray the Lord my soul to take if I should live for other days I pray the Lord to guide my ways But my cousins instead of saying that whole part about dying while we're sleeping which you rightly said probably traumatized (laughs) us all (laughs) and of course Ended up being many questions to our parents. They that 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 household they just changed it and they said, "May angels watch me through the night and wake me with the morning light." I said, "Oh, that's nice." Uh-huh. But I still pray, I still ended up praying my version because that was the one I memorized. I heard the
0: death one. We didn't do that like as a prayer in my household, but that's the one I I heard other yeah. people talk about. Going, that's oh. the one I grew and that, up. It, with. It, that was. I, I was like, even as a kid, I was like, that's dark?"
1: Yeah. Yeah. But there is something important about just allowing like ma- like normalizing that conversation. It's possible we could die while we're sleeping. It's true. And
0: you bringing that up the the childlikeness of Jesus in that moment and doing it in such a way that when you were speaking about Jesus as a child like condition, a helpless helpless as a child in the hands of God, I couldn't help it. I I imagined, uh, let's see, it's 221, so about 16 hours ago when I was putting Ezra to sleep. That's my other kid. And he's a baby. And I just sat there and thought, huh, he's completely dependent on us. Hmm. If we don't feel like feeding him, he starves to death you know and and we do I really trust God that much? Because I don't know if I do. So thank you for bringing that uh, message to mind.
1: So I want to ask you Je- Jeannie, um, you, you said that you know what Jesus does, I think in the same conversation you were talking about this prayer was that he invites us to look life and death in the face frankly or perhaps he just models that for us. I mean, what would it be like if we did trust in that way? And if we did um, look life and death in the face that frankly?
2: Well, if we all did that, probably the kingdom would be here (laughs) in its fullest form. What what do Um, you mean by that? Because I think that trust, that relationship is what it's all about. Um... I don't think any of us trust to that level, hmm. okay, but I think we're invited. Mm-hmm. And I think that as we grow in our faith, we can become more able to trust.
1: What do you remember about praying that prayer as a kid? do you Do you remember asking your parents about it, or what did it mean to you then?
2: Well, you know, I think I may have shared this in the ministerial group. I don't remember if I had or not, but I actually had open-heart surgery when I was a little girl, about eight years old. Wow. And, again, this was back in the Dark Ages. Mm -hmm. The surgery was in 1963. Still not as scary
0: as having gators in your backyard. Go ahead. (laughs) Well, I would say heart
1: surgery is just as scary now (laughs) as it was then, probably more so. but.
2: But at the time, there were only three people in the three places in the country where you could get this surgery done. Hmm. And so I grew up with probably more of an awareness of death than most people did. Hmm. Um, I was told after the surgery that I had, um, they had anticipated without surgery I could have lived into my 30s, but when they opened me up, they saw that I would not have made it out of my teens. Wow. And I can remember, <laughs> I remember one time, um, this is how I tell you, I'm, I have this awareness of death. I wasn't allowed to play with other children. I had to sit with the teachers, okay. And I remember one time I snuck in in there, and I was, it was a rainy day, and we were playing 7-Up. where you put your head down, Yeah. you know.
0: Heads up, 7-Up, or thumbs up, 7-Up. Something really? like that, yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: And so we were playing that game, and I was playing... And my teacher saw that I was up running around the room, and she called over to me. And this was a very special teacher to me. It was second grade. And I sat in her lap, and I put my head back like that on her shoulder, like to be cuddled, you know, to be held. Well, she jumped up. And I knew she was scared to death that I had died. <laughs>
1: you know? Just died in her arms.
2: And died in her arms because I had been doing this exercise. Wow. So I think... That is probably why, the idea of being taken if I die before I wake, was for me not as scary as it might have been for others, hmm. because it was it was profoundly comforting to know that that I was being held. That no you'll be okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. If
0: something happens.
1: And I think that is nine the. Nine I think that is the purpose of the prayer. I just don't think that <laughs> I got that part of it. As a, kid. I don't think most people. I'm do. glad that you got it, and I'm glad that you were able to share that to us. And I'm like, oh yeah, it's gonna be okay. Even if we die, it's gonna be okay. We're hmm. held still. Hmm.
2: Good Presbyterian theology. I don't know. Maybe yeah, Baptist yeah. too.
0: Um. Yeah. Baptists are a little bit fixated on death.
2: In life um, and in death. and
0: blood. Oh, my God. We're so <laughs> fixated on blood. That's why I drink One all the time, just to remind me I'm a Baptist. <laughs> to you non-North Carolinians, it is a red soft drink. Mm, the carbonated <laughs> blood of Christ. Yes, it is. Yes, it is.
1: <laughs> and sweetened. Oh, boy. Anyway, uh, you, you, you move from from this meditation on the prayer and about this concept that, you know, we are held in the hands of God no matter what. Uh, to talking about some of the real threats in our world today you mentioned the pandemic you mentioned the war in ukraine you mentioned inflation and your sermon was uh well structured and the last part of it was this invitation and i think the you know the question i have is what is the goal of trusting in god like what what are we hoping to achieve by trusting in God, can we trust God even in death, even in the face of death? And and what is How does that change the world if we do? Uh, especially in light of everything that's going on right now.
0: Do you mean how do we change? How does that change our lives, or does, how is that a change agent in, in the broader world?
1: Yes. <laughs> Good luck. All of the above.
2: <laughs> um. I have certain little mental phrases in my head that kind of are. I just cling to them, I guess, mm-hmm. and and I think that life is a choice, like between life and death. It's a choice of living in faith or living in fear. Hmm. And I think that's the invitation that we're given. Quit, you don't have to live in this fear. Hmm. Live with faith. None of us has the answer. We don't know what's on the other side of that door, okay?
1: Yeah.
2: But we can choose how we're gonna live on this side. And I think, I remember reading a, an article by, yeah, now I won't remember his name, Schweitzer? Albert? I think it was Albert Schweitzer. Twice for the
0: Historical Jesus, like my hero, Albert Schweitzer?
2: I'm pretty sure, but it was, it was an article on compassion. It was a philosophical article on compassion in which he argued for ca- compassion as one of the, as, as the most life-giving option.
0: That's how he ended Quest for That's probably not the same thing. Okay. That's how he. that's where he gets. Okay. I've like, read and that, but try I don't and remember. trying, trying, to get to who the historical Jesus was. And in the long and short of it is we can't figure it out, so we might as well go and live the most compassionate lives we can because whoever he was, historically, that's the point.
2: Yes. And that, I'm, I probably read it and don't remember it, okay? <laughs> but that is, you know to me, when you ask what kind of a difference is that going to make you know, the decision I came through years ago, I was in a place of real despair. My, my faith was very rattled. And I its kind of like, well, it's a 50-50 gamble. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to me it makes more sense to gamble for faith hmm. because at the end, if you have nothing, at least you've had a decent life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but, but I think that is the whole message Mm-hmm. is to our lives are built on faith, whether our faith is in science, whether our faith is in, you know capitalism, whether our faith is in religion, whether our faith is in ourselves, our lives are built on faith. And so what we have faith in matters. And I feel like for me, this the life, the death, the resurrection, the person of Jesus Christ, is for me the most profound example of a life, an abundant life-giving life. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And so I may be wrong, but that is what I choose to follow. And I feel like it makes a difference in how I face the world How crippled I am by fear how much of my life do I give away
1: Mm
2: -hmm. to to fear when I could be relishing every moment Mm -hmm. and I think it also makes a difference because as individuals we're the building blocks of society and if we can find in ourselves the ability to live with compassion towards each other um, you know just think about how many things in the world have have come from you know I mean there's so many stories I can't even think of them they're kind of all crowding my mind but I I think of the story of you know, Johnny Appleseed but there's been more than one of, of that kind of story where you know this individual plants, like, uh, I remember there used to be a story about a a valley over in Tennessee and somebody owned this valley and every year they'd go out and they'd plant a single bulb and after 40 years the entire valley was covered and in the springtime this entire valley would be just this glorious you know, uh, spring wildflower, you know veil Mm -hmm. and if each one of us plants that single seed takes that single step of faith seeks to be loving ourselves included because we've got to acknowledge that we can't always be there you know we can't always we've got to love ourselves enough to be able to fail too Mm -hmm. you know I think that would make a tremendous difference in how we operated in the world
1: yeah yeah I agree with you I I think a couple years ago I was Facing a similar kind of decision point where I was making a break from my previous career and debating about going to divinity school, which is something I'd never considered before, and just had this sense of you're going to go to North Carolina, a state I'd never lived in before, and you're going to be there for three years for school, and well, what next? What's after that, God? And the answer was. Well, you don't know yet, but you don't have to know. Just go and you know and and I think uh, the fear of the unknown was so overwhelming to me, but uh, I, I realized something about human fears that no matter what we fear, if we take it to the extreme, like whatever it is that we're afraid of will somehow result in our death like. They're going to criticize me so much that I'm gonna die or I'm gonna feel like I'm dying inside or uh, you know if if I do this if I live this life then I'm never gonna make any money and then I'm gonna to starve to death yeah you know so like or you, you can I mean our, our imaginations run wild in the direction of death and trusting God to hold us even if and when we do die breaks the power of that imagination run wild and then we can say yeah okay maybe that's what happens but it'll be all right and then what opens up once we have that kind of trust is an entirely new way of living I think that is the new creation that we get remade into is one where we can trust God enough in life or in death and that changes the way we live and we look like
0: different people so you brought up a quote by Reinhold Niebuhr, I think, was it? Yes. Reinhold or Richard. Reinhold Niebuhr. Reinhold. That, and I'm going off the top of my mind, but Peter has it written down. So, but you can correct me if I'm wrong. You're not <laughs> gonna, to you're not gonna too. do anything in your lifetime. You're not gonna accomplish oh, anything worth doing. Won't be accomplished in one lifetime. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Those are sobering words, but I needed to hear. And that's because I get so mad at myself for perceived failures Mm -hmm. for not being able to see a problem come up with a solution make it happen problem church not again not Canton First Baptist but the church isn't where I want it to be well maybe if I preach better well that's silly Um, I, I don't have a solution for it off the top of my head. Am I going to be okay with not being able to see the outcome this side of the grave? I, I, I don't know that I am. But it takes an awful lot of but
1: trust. God is saying you are going to be okay. I don't have a choice. Can you yeah, that's, that's me Can you on the cross.
0: The Romans have taken the the, the choice away from me. I think that's the ultimate form of trusting God. When is and you, I'm not poking fun. You did a great job, but one example I wish you to use would have been Abraham. Abraham. You use a lot of other examples, but he gets this promise from God and never gets to see. He gets one kid out of a great nation, yeah. quote unquote. So, and yet, and yet what, what we're supposed to learn from that? Is that we have to be okay with trusting God, who delivers, but we n- may not be able to see it. That's so hard for me, because I am one who analyzes everything, and well, that's not paying off paying off. Toss it, try the next thing. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I thank you for saying that. I don't think I'm the only one in that room that needed to hear it. Jeannie, is is that? I wonder where that
1: came from for you. Is are there think are there goals that you have stripped? Stri- striven strove striven works striven for in your life or 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 things that you want to see in the world that you have to trust that god may not achieve in your lifetime (laughs) oh yes (laughs) or or give us some advice on how to do that
0: still a
2: work in progress (laughs) well i was gonna say how
0: about one from when you were like you know 26 or something which you know you're 29 now (laughs)
2: plus 40 (laughs) not quite Um, I mean I, I feel like I have failed many times and been very earnest in what I was trying to accomplish I went into the ministry and during it's my generation that the church went from being a bedrock of the nation hmm. to being a joke hmm. among many and and not to be taken too seriously by those that don't dislike it, <laughs> you know. I am a Presbyterian minister who spent twenty years working as a counselor who has been divorced twice the Mm. most important relationship of my life Mm. and I've failed Mm. so (laughs) yes I feel like I feel like my my feelings are also a part of who made me who I am and contributed to my Reliance on um, Paul Tillich talks about it's one of my favorite concepts. He talks about the God beyond God, mm-hmm. the idea that no matter how big our God is, it's still just our image of God, and so it, the true God is always greater. And to me, that those feelings are a part of the journey of moving to a bigger understanding of God. Mm-hmm an understanding of God that, to me, one of the beauties of the universe is that you can look as far as you can look in both, you know, you can go down to the microscopic subatomic, you can go up to the universe upon universe. You know, there's, it's so vast and so um, infinitely beautiful, and somehow these little, blips in our lives they contribute to that Mm
0: -hmm.
2: either by our personal development or by helping us to tear down something that's not useful anymore or you know it's it's a part of the process it's a part of the mix it's a part of the gift so
0: it seems to me I don't want to say what you're saying so I'm going to say what I'm taking from what you're saying is that the God of an infinitely large and magnificent universe is also the God of your story. Yes. And therefore, every bit of that story is worth trusting to the God of your story and the universe.
2: Yeah. Thank you.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Jeannie, for being with us on the show. I think that's a... I'm awestruck, just as I was listening to your sermon. I appreciate
0: the vulnerability, um, which we we didn't get as much of during the sermon, but I appreciate you opening up to us and trusting us, not only with your time, but with your story. And I appreciate you, like he said, being willing to come out and talk to us today. I hope it's not the last time. Oh, yeah. So what you need to do is you need to sit in Peter's in my place. I mean, not instead of us, but with us. While okay. we grill someone else.
2: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For good.
0: Pastor Potluck, I'm Court Green. And I'm Peter Constantia. And joining us today has been... Jeannie Hoax. And we appreciate her. Peace, and we'll see you next time. Happy Easter.